excited this morning? Well, you should be excited this morning. That was fantastic. Thank you, team, for, for that and for leading us in, in praising the Lord. Uh, I, I have a lot to be thankful for. In fact, this week, is this on? Or making sure you can hear me. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Making sure. Uh, but this week, I've had uh, uh, just so many things to be thankful for. And I just want to, first of all, say thank you to so many of you. We had about... At least 15 or 16 people that helped us move all of the things from our house on the other side of, of Grand Rapids to just about two miles away from here, which we're really excited about. And, uh, and so we had people, and we took two trailers to all the way to the, other, the north end of town and back to the south end of town twice. So it's a long day for people, and I just want to let you know how much I appreciate it. But not only that, uh, we had people offer us meals and uh, uh, just to kind of help us through the transition so we could focus on getting everything out of our boxes and get beds set up and things like that. And, uh, and, and both of the families that brought us meals didn't just bring us meals, they stocked our fridge. <laughs> and so I just want to say thank you. You guys have really shown your love to us and, and we, we feel it and we appreciate it. And um, Also, uh, I just want to say too, with, with the connection groups, we saw the announcement there, I want to encourage you to sign up as soon as you can and, and uh, get involved in one of those connection groups. If you're interested in being a connection group leader or if you just want to host a connection group, talk to me after the service today. I'll be out there and, uh, and we would like to get, to get that information so we can get moving in that direction. Uh, today I, we're going to be bringing up a new topic that we're going to continue in, in the book of Joshua. So if you want to turn to Joshua, we'll be in chapter 3 as our basis for uh, the text today. But we're really beginning a topic of faith today. Um, let me ask you this. Have you ever known that God was asking you to take a step of faith? I mean, in your heart of hearts, you knew he was asking you to do something, but you lacked the faith to take that step. How many of us would say that we've been there before? All right, I think, I think it's safe to say we've all been there, and we're probably there, many of us are probably there even at this moment. We know God's asking us to do something, and it's very difficult to take that step of faith. And I think that's because we sometimes struggle making the connection between the God that we read about in Scripture, the God that we just sang about, and then the God that is in our own lives. I mean, we know in our head it's the same God. We know that. But to understand that the God that we're singing about, it's the same God that we read about in Scripture, is the same God that is with us in the daily decisions and the daily things that's going on in our life. As we... Uh, as we continue in our journey with Joshua, I think that's where we can, we can see how Israel overcame that same obstacle. If you, if you remember, Israel did not have the advantage. Most of the people that were, were in this story in Joshua chapter 3 did not experience personally what had happened in Israel. They did not see the plagues. Now, some of them did as children, but they have gone for 40 years in the wilderness since they crossed the Red Sea. And, uh, and, and so for many of them, it's the stories that they've heard their parents say before their parents passed away. It's, it's the stories that they've heard. But making that connection between the stories that they've heard about God and having God in that real sense in your life can be two different things. Is that, is that the case? And so I think as we look at how this generation overcame that, you think there's some things that we might be able to learn about taking those steps of faith as well? I believe so. Let's look at... Uh, uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 7, just to catch a little bit of the context. And this is where we left off last week in verse 7. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know 
that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So this is the, the preface, as, as God is explaining to Joshua about the miracle that he was about to do, about crossing the Jordan, he, he really begins by understanding, and he gives them the purpose. I want to focus on a couple things. First, so that they may know. He's giving the purpose. He's saying, this, what I'm about to do for you, it has a purpose. It's not just doing a miracle for the random sake of doing a miracle. This miracle that he's about to do has a purpose. And that purpose is so that the people will begin to understand a very simple concept. And that's the concept that the same God who is with Moses is the same God who is with Joshua. The same God from the previous generations is the same God of the present generation. And he wants them to begin this journey of faith. The second word I want us to look at is, is the word begin. Because really at this point it's beginning the journey. This is going to be a new topic for, as, we, as we read along and study Joshua together. We're going to see that this topic of building our faith is the new topic in the book of Joshua. And it starts right here. It starts in Joshua chapter 3. As God begins to develop the faith of the people of Israel. Uh, so that's why uh, for today we've titled the, the message, Crossing the Jordan Part 2, Beginning the Journey of Faith. Well, let's go ahead and uh, continue to read where we left off then, uh, starting verse 8. So let's look at uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. We'll read verses 8 through 13. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, or excuse me, I uh, skipped to verse, verse 9. So let me go back to verse 8. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. And the waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand in a heap. What an amazing thing that God is telling them is about to happen. And uh, that uh, God is, is telling them what he's going to do. But does this sound at all familiar to you? For those who have been raised in church, and maybe you know a little bit of the stories of, of Israel, does this story sound a little bit familiar to you? When have we heard that story before? You don't have to know the exact text, but uh, what, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. You cannot help but notice the connections, Right? And so we can see that there's a definite connection. As he begins, the, the, as he begins to build their faith, he, he starts by going back to the past and reminding them of some things of the past. And so it makes sense that he would use something from the past and then compare it to something that's going to happen in the, in the near future so that they could see the timelessness of God. And by that I mean the fact that it's the same God from the past generations to the next generations, just like we sang, our God never changes. He never tires out. He never loses his strength. And, we see, and we're, we're about to see that in Scripture. 
So let's take a look at these two, and we're going to compare the two. And, and when I studied this week and I looked at uh, the passage of the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15, keep a finger here in, in Joshua 3 because we will come back. Uh, but as you go to, to Exodus, um, there's a question that comes to mind, and that is, which crossing required more faith? Since the topic is obviously faith in verse 7, and starting in verse 8, he compares or he brings up the, these images of red, the, the Red Sea to mind. What, which crossing required more faith? In which crossing, the crossing of the Red Sea or the crossing of the Jordan River, did the Israelites display or even need more faith? So let's take a look with one finger in Joshua 3. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. To give a little context, the ten plagues have already happened at this point in the story. The Israelites followed the cloud. They followed the pillar. They were following God's presence, and God seemed to have led them to a dead end. The Red Sea is to their east, and they see the Egyptian army coming from the west. They're, they're in trouble from a human perspective, and that's where we come in in verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die here in the wilderness. Verse 13 and Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. In this text, did the Israelites display faith? Absolutely not. That all they did was recognize from a human perspective the trouble that they were in. They saw Pharaoh's army... And they cried out to the Lord, but it doesn't say they asked him anything. They weren't asking for, for help. They thought they were done. And so what do you do when you're done? You pick on the leaders who got you there, right? So that's exactly what they did. They went, they started picking on, on uh, Moses saying, you, why did you bring us out here? It would have been better to be slaves than to be out here in the, in the wilderness to die. So when you look at uh, and, and you compare the two, the Red Sea to the Jordan River, which required more faith? When you think about it, God didn't require any faith on the part of the Israelites in the Red Sea. In fact, what did God actually tell them to do? When we read, the, when we read Exodus uh, 14, what did God actually tell them to do through Moses? Moses told them first, he said, stand still. Remember uh, when he said that in verse, uh, uh, verse 13? And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, but what? Stand still. And the next thing, and see the salvation of the Lord. He basically told him, stand still and watch. And if you look at the end of verse 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And nothing more. When God, when, when, when God was with uh, the people of Israel at this point, he, he led them to this place of despair. Because he had plans to pull them out of the place of despair. And he led them to this place where, humanly speaking, there's no way out. You can't cross the Red Sea. You can't fight the, the, the Egyptian army. And God led them there 
They had no faith whatsoever. The only instructions they received, to stand and watch. Hold your peace. Just watch what God is about to do. Does it require any faith? Really, there was no faith required at all. Now let's compare that to what we read in in, uh, Joshua chapter 3. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, that the waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. Was there any requirement of faith, any participation that God required on the part of the Israelites in the second story? Yes, there is. It's minimal, but it's there. There's no making the mistake. When you read the two stories side by side, he doesn't tell them to stand still. He tells them to stand where? He tells them to stand in, in the water. Right? Not everyone, the priests. He tells the priests to stand in the water. You, they had to get their feet wet. Right? They had to at least take that one step of faith. What we find then is that this is, this is really the beginning of faith. In the Red Sea, we see God creating a basis for faith, but... But really, we don't begin to see faith in the lives of God's people here until the Jordan River. And we see him him asking them to take that step of faith. Remember, what was the the purpose for crossing the Jordan River to begin with? We we read about it back in uh, uh, in verse 10. But let's uh, let's look at that one, one more time. And Joshua said, by this, talking about the miracle that was going to happen by crossing the Jordan River, by this, you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. By the way, don't let that list of names, you know, so oftentimes when we start reading lists in Scripture, we just forget about it, just try to get through the list. Each one of those names represented a nation that was inside the Promised Land that they were going to have to overcome. And they were just Bedouins, who had never lived inside of a walled city. And God's saying, you, you're going to take over all of these nations, seven nations. And that's a huge task. If you put yourself in the, in the shoes of the Israelites, or in their sandals, right, rather, if you put yourself into their shoes, you realize that God is asking them to do something incredible. And, but yet God knows that their faith is not ready for that. God knows that. So he's building their faith. So he's saying, by this, you will know that the same God that was with Moses is going to be with you. By this, you'll know that the same God who crossed the Red Sea is going to to deliver you from all seven of your enemies. And so we see that that, uh, purpose. I I guess one way to put it is that God was creating a basis for faith. (coughs) He was going to display his power so that they would have the faith. Another way of putting it, the same concept, is, is... the purpose was to give the Israelites a reason to believe that God was going to lead them to victory. Now there are three lessons of faith that we're going to pull out of today's text. And this, this takes us to the first one. The first lesson of faith that we find today is this. God never calls us to blind faith. I think this is a very important distinction to make. Because there's a difference between blind faith and faith. Um, what we find here is that God always gives us a reason to believe. 
that might seem like, but, but Pastor Dave, is it really faith if there's a reason to believe it, right? That doesn't seem right, but let's talk about that a little bit further. Let's define them. Uh, the difference between biblical faith and blind faith, if we, uh, if we think through these, these two together, um, how do they work? If we start with uh, biblical faith, we begin faithless, just like the people of Israel. We, by nature, we do not have faith by nature, do we? Anyone here born a believer? Okay, I'll keep my hand down, right? Because I wasn't born a believer. We don't believe by nature. We're critics by nature. And uh, we're skeptical. We don't believe by nature. So we begin faithless. But then God proves himself faithful. And then we trust him. That's the process that we see taking place. We saw the Israelites. They were faithless. They saw the Red Sea. And they, didn't know, they knew they couldn't cross that way. They saw the Egyptian army. They had no faith. They thought they were dead. That's, that's normal. That's natural. That's, that's the way we are as human beings. But then God did what? He said, stand, watch. I'm going to show you my power. And he does. They cross the Red Sea. And then they begin to have faith. Wow. God proved himself faithful, so now we can trust him. And, uh, and, uh, and we see that cycle. But blind faith, it, it begins the same way. We, we don't have the faith. That blind faith is a little bit different. It's instead of uh, God proving himself faithful, it's we choose to believe in something that seems unreasonable. Um, we might say, you know, when you think of blind faith, you think of someone who's blindfolded, maybe ready to take a leap off of a cliff or something like that. Without knowing what's down, it just doesn't make any sense. And they talk about the leap of faith. Well, is that really faith or is that blind faith? Because what oftentimes happens there is we, we end up leaving it to chance. Let me give an example to, to, to help understand the difference. I, I used to work at Lake Ann Baptist Camp uh, up in uh, the Traverse City area and uh, uh, as a counselor there. And I remember there was another counselor there. Uh, I won't share her name, but I remember she was my teammate during senior high week. And so she came up to me and said, Oh, Dave, I, I learned the, the most awesome thing in my devotions this morning. I said, oh, well, share with me. What did you learn? He said, God promised me that he was going to lead both of my parents to the Lord within the next year. Now, think about that for a second. Uh, God had promised her. And so I, I asked her, well, where is that in Scripture? I've never seen that in Scripture. And, and so she said, well, you know, he just, he just told me, um, uh, you know, I read something and it mentioned something about a year but I just knew that the Lord was speaking to me and told me that my parents were going to get saved in a year, within one year. And she was just so excited. She thanked the Lord, praised the Lord for that. A year later, time had come, time had gone. Her parents did not, did not accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And how did she respond? She thought, God let her down. Lord, you have let me down. And if the Lord's going to let me down, then I'm going to let him down. And so she, she strayed from, from everything that she knew was right. Uh, she started living a lifestyle that she should not have. She had a child out of wedlock. She, she quit going to church and became a practical atheist. She knew in her head that there was God, but she would say in her heart that there was no God. After fast forward a couple years, I actually had the privilege to meet her parents. And her parents then had accepted the Lord. And you know what their number one prayer request was? For their daughter to come back to God. I say this because I think it, it is very important for us to understand. Blind faith is, is, is just when you just choose to believe something that doesn't make sense, but because you want it to be true. And you know what? No matter how much you want something to be true, that is not going to make it true. Did you know that? 
And, and the world will try to, to, to tell you that that's the definition of faith. Even preachers on TV will tell you that that's the definition of faith. Is if you want something to be true, then you just have enough faith and make it true. But is that what biblical faith is all about? No. It's not about that at all. Biblical faith is when God proves himself faithful so we can trust him for what he said is going to happen. No matter how unreasonable that might sound. Because God has proven himself more faithful. Amen? And so, so it's important to, for us to understand because if we think it through, biblical faith will lead us to a stronger faith. Because as God proves himself faithful and we take these baby steps, in this, in this case we see them taking a step into the Jordan River, we see that and when God proves himself faithful, what does that do? I don't want to give away too much of what we're going to go into over the next several weeks, but we're going to see how God asks them to do more and more. He asks them to participate more and more in their faith. And God is, is kind of backing off a little bit, letting them participate more in it, because he wants them to realize that even when it looks like they're doing it all, God's really the one bringing the victories. Amen? And, and so God's taking them through that, through that, that lesson, and our faith grows. You know, when you think of it, a, a lot of new believers, you see God revealing himself in some really unique ways for, for a new believer to accept Christ even many times. And then, then you, you're saved and you've been walking with the Lord for, for many years. I've been walking with the Lord for, for a few decades now. And you know what? He doesn't do the same things necessarily. Why? Because he's testing my faith. He wants me to participate more in what he's asking me to do. It's just the way that God builds, God builds our faith. But if you follow the blind faith, it's eventually going to lead to disillusionment. I can give you story after story of people who have followed blind faith and it led to disillusionment. Because when it doesn't happen, they blame God. And we have to be very, very careful about what we blame God for doing. Now, I want to counterbalance this, uh, this lesson of faith. You know, first, the lesson of faith is that God never calls us to a blind faith. But I want to counterbalance that um, by, by saying that biblical faith implies that we trust in what we cannot prove. Biblical faith implies that we trust in what we cannot prove. I mean, they, they had to take a step of faith, did they not? What does Hebrews 11.1? One? It defines, this is the great hall of faith in Hebrews 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What does that mean? It's the, the things that we have hope. Not hope in the, in the English sense of the word hope, where we, where we just, well, I hope this happens, or I hope the Red Wings win tonight, or something like that. It's more of a, of a hope. Is, this is what gets me through the hard times, is because I have the glorious hope, of, because I know what's going to happen. I have a faith in what's going to happen. Faith is the substance of things that we are hoping for. It is the evidence of the things not seen. And then he goes through the, 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 the whole chapter of, of Hebrews 11. gives example after example after example of people who laid aside all of their, their present pleasures. All of the things that they could have had. Why? Because they were holding on to that glorious hope of what God was going to give them in eternity. And it, said, and it says in the end of chapter 11 that not one of them received what they were hoping for on earth. And they were in the great hall of faith. Men and women of faith. Faith does require, at some level, faith does require believing in something that we necessarily can't prove. So maybe we can look at it like, uh, like this uh, uh, pendulum here. On one, on one end of the pendulum, we have blind faith. 
Blind faith is faith without any sense of reason. It's an unreasonable faith. It's just believing in what you want to be true. And we know that that's, that that's a problem. But you can also fail on the other end of, of being a skeptic. Um, oftentimes, we, we, God's asking us to do things, and we just... We, we can't prove that God's going to be with us. We can't say all six weeks, so we don't do it. Let me give you an example. Maybe the Lord has been prompting you to witness to somebody at work. Maybe it's a person who, in your mind, would never accept Christ as their Savior. Right? And so in your mind, you're saying, yeah, but you know what? He's, he's my boss. He might fire me. Or, you know what? He, he doesn't like Christianity. He's, he's going to treat me bad from now on. Or, or he's going to look down on me for my faith. Or he's going to make fun of me. Or, and, and all of these things come into my mind because we don't have the proof that we don't know that everything's going to turn out right. But if God's prompting you to do it, then what he's doing is asking you to take what? A step of faith. Take that step of faith. And as you take that small step of faith, and God proves himself faithful, he's going to ask you to take, you, ask you to take even a bigger step of faith. And he's going to do that, and he's going to do that, and he's going to, going to grow your faith. But so many times we get stunted in our spiritual growth because we don't understand faith. And we either believe that God has to prove it to me before I take a step, or we believe that I can just go where I want to go and have faith that it's where God is leading me. When neither one is really the, the case. When the, really the balance point is biblical faith, which is reasonable faith, because God has already proven his faithfulness. So it becomes faith it, 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 because we're willing to do it. When you see it over and over again, when I think of faithfulness, one of the things that comes to my mind is the sun. The sun came up this morning. You can't see it, but it's there, right? How many of you believe that the sun is going to come up tomorrow? You do. Can you prove that it's going to come up tomorrow? No, you can't. But if you've lived as long as I have, or some of you a little more and some of you a little less, but, but if, you, if you've lived long enough to understand what we're talking about today, then you know that every day you've gotten up, the sun has come up. And every night you go to bed, the sun has gone down and it comes back up the next day. Because of its faithfulness, because of its, re- its repeated consistency, is it reasonable to believe that the sun's going to come up tomorrow? It is very reasonable to believe. We don't have proof, but it's reasonable. And it's that same concept applied in our spiritual journey because God has proven himself faithful. Has he ever missed a single one of his uh, prophecies in Scripture? Did anyone not come true? How many many times did did, did the prophets mess up? Zero. Uh, When we see God being faithful time and time again, guess what happens? It becomes to the point where we don't doubt at all. Not a single person in here doubts that the sun is going to rise tomorrow because it's been so constant. But I'm telling you, one thing is even more constant than the sun, and that's God. And he will be more constant than anything. So, uh, so we, we see that, that spectrum, and I think it's important. So when we think about uh, uh, what's going on back in Joshua 3, and we look at verse 10... And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you all the enemies that he had listed for them. Well, did it happen? How did it work out for them? Let's take a look at, let's continue in our text, starting verse 14, and see how well it worked out for them. Verse 14, So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, 
And as those who bore the ark, of the, um, the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city which is beside Zarephath. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. What an exciting story to see God once again proving himself faithful, doing exactly what he did uh, in Exodus 14, he, he repeats it here. And just to review the, uh, the, the geography of what's going on, I don't know if you can see the Sea of Galilee. Um, um, you see the Mediterranean Sea off to the northwest. You see the Sea of Galilee, and then there's a river, and then you see the Dead Sea there. Uh, I'll focus in a little bit just on, the, on that area right there. Here we have the Acacia Grove, and some of your translations might say uh, Shatim, which is uh, the Hebrew word for Acacia Grove. And, uh, and right across from that is where Jericho is. And God said he cut off the waters. But it's not just cutting off the waters uh, of, of a lake or something like, uh, like he did in, in, in Exodus 14. But this is running water. And it's flood season. All right, so it's running so fast that in the time that it took for the Israelites to cross from Acacia Grove to Jericho, the, the waters flooded all the way back to the town of Adam. So about more than half of the distance of the Jordan River flooded because it was flowing so fast that by the time the Israelites crossed over, it flooded all the way back to the city of Adam. Is that an amazing thing? When you think about the amount of weight, the amount of pressure that that much water would cause, and God just held it back. He said, all right, time to cross over, Israelites. And they crossed over, and then he let it go. That's the power of God. We sang this morning that he holds his, the power in, in the palm of, of his hands. Of course, that's really a small thing for God, isn't that? You can speak the world into creation, but for us, it's a, it's a big deal. And I don't know what problems you might be going through in your life, but whatever those problems are probably seem like a big deal. And for God, he's just waiting for you to have faith on them. And, uh, and we see that taking place. I think it's interesting that it, it happens and in the, in the, that it goes all the way back to the town of Adam and, uh, that the Bible clarifies that. Um, the, it's a little bit of a play on words because the word Adam comes from the word dirt, or ground. Uh, the reason God gave Adam that name is because he, he formed him out of the, the dust of the ground. And, and it's also to remind us that as human beings, that's our, that's our natural destiny as well. If we, if we came from dust, we'll return to dust, um, which makes eternal life so much more precious. And so there's this play on words where they walk, they walk across, what does it say? On dry ground. And then the waters receded all the way back up to Adam. So it's a little bit of a play on words because Adam means the ground or the earth. And we see that taking place. God just does an amazing, amazing thing. Which brings us really to the, to the last lesson of faith for today. And that is, it is reasonable to trust in God. It is reasonable to trust in God. You know, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, but uh, Peter tells us, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the, for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
Notice what it doesn't say first. It never says in there that we must be able to prove our faith to anybody. Does it say that? It doesn't say that. We don't have to prove our faith to anyone. But what should we be able to do? We should be able to give the reason for the faith that we have. We should be able to say, you know what, this is why I believe. In fact, in the near future, we'll be in the, in the servant leaders courses that we'll be offering starting later on this year, uh, we'll be offering a course called uh, Defending the Faith, which has its sole goal of obeying this verse, teaching us how do we defend the faith? How do we give the reason for the hope that we have? But today I just want us to understand that there is always a reason. God has given us, he has proven himself so faithful that it is reasonable to have faith in God. Is it not? What about you? I really only have two, two questions for us today. One is, what has God done to reveal himself to you? I want you to think about that for a moment. For yourself, what are some of the things in your history, and if you have to write them down or whatever, I want you to bring them to mind, the things that God has done for you. Last week I shared a story about how we, I was... Uh, was trying to raise support to be a missionary. I believe this was God, what God was calling us to do. We went for an entire year without raising any support, and I fell on my face, and I prayed to the Lord, and by the end of the day, close to a third of our support came in. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look back at those moments, and I remember what God has done for me. And you know what? Some of those things drive me forward again. And they, they drive me when God asks me to take a step of faith. I look back on those things. What has God done to reveal himself to you? And many of you, I wish we had time, we could just have you come up and share story after story after story as we would build our faith together, hearing what God has done in our, in, in our lives. And hopefully as you get together with people in connection groups and things like that, you share those stories and, and, we, and you begin to see that and we build each other's faith. What has God done to reveal himself to you? Some of you might be saying, you know what, I'm not sure. And if you're not sure, then, then maybe you're, you're like, more like the Israelites at the Red Sea. Maybe without faith... And so my advice to you would be stand still and watch. Watch what, God's, watch what God does. Watch how God reveals himself to you. I'm going to list briefly three things that God has done for everybody. Three things that he reveals himself for everybody. And there are more. But I just want to get, to get the juices rolling there. In, in uh, Psalm 119, 1-4, we see that God has given us creation. And you know the creation tells us about the creator? It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utters speech, and night unto night, reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their uh, line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the, of the world. God has given us creation, and that proves the existence of God. You notice in Scripture, it never says that, uh, that a fool says in his mind, there is no God. What does it say? A fool says where? In his heart that there is no God. Why? Because they already know. It's already in our minds. We know that there's a God. We have to suppress that knowledge with the heart. If if we want to become an atheist. That's the way way it works. God has given us his creation. And that, that alone should be enough for us to be in awe of God. God has also given us a conscience. Look at Romans 12. Or Romans 2, 12 through 16. It says, For as many have sinned without the law, will perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. 
For when Gentiles who do not have law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having law, are law to themselves. But then listen to what he says in verse 15 and 16. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts excusing all else, excusing them. Um, in, the, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, one day he is going to judge even the secret thoughts, and those thoughts will condemn us because our consciences tell us an awful lot about God. Do they not? And, uh, and God has given us that conscience. Or John 16, 8, this is the last one I'll share. And when he has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. It doesn't say he'll just convict the elect of sin. Uh, he will convict the world of sin. God has given us everything we need to at least take that first step of faith. Has he not? There might be someone here today who have never taken that first step of faith. I'm telling you, there's enough reason to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. I did lie. I said I would only share three. I'll share a fourth one. Christ himself. It's the revelation of God. God became a man for us, and he died on the cross for us. If that's not a revelation, it's a revelation. Not because he died, it's a revelation because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the, the grave, conquered sin for you, for me. And that's an exciting thing, is it not? And when in, in light of that, I don't know how we could say, Lord, you have not revealed enough for me to take steps of faith. There's no excuse. You have an empty tomb where Jesus was, was placed. So what about you? What has God done to reveal himself to you? What has he done for you? And then the second question, what are you going to do with that knowledge? next time God decides to stretch your faith. Maybe it's in a little thing. Maybe it's in witnessing to someone at, at work. Maybe it's in having a conversation or confrontation that you need to have. Maybe it's a position in the church where you're thinking, oh man, I, I know the Lord is telling me to, to be involved in this, in this ministry or that ministry, uh, but, but I'm afraid to do it. But it's a step of faith. God has, made, God has proven himself time and time again. Take that step of faith. And so my advice at this point, if God has proven himself trustworthy, there's not a doubt on my mind, so let that drive you to take steps of faith. Let that drive you to be willing to get your feet wet. And when you get your feet wet and you see what God does, then you're going to want to take the next step. And you're going to see God do even more things. And then you're going to want to take the next step. And, and that is this process of faith. But so many people, I think, get stunted in their faith because they, they, they sway one way or the other in that blind faith and they end up disillusioned or they fall on the other side of being a skeptic and they never take the step of faith when God calls them to do it. Don't be either of those people, but have that biblical faith that says, because God has proven himself, I'm going to follow him. No matter how scary it might seem, no matter what he calls me to do and how scary that might seem to me. Amen? Let's pray. Let's uh, stand together. Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And, and before I pray, I just want to ask you to, to, to look inside your own soul for a moment. And if there's anyone in here that right now would have to say, honestly, Pastor Dave, I've never actually had that faith. As, as we read the story of the Red Sea, that describes me better than seeing the priest in the story of Joshua. 
And I, I'm without faith, and I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I have never placed my faith in Jesus Christ to, for, for the salvation of my sins. If that's you today, don't leave today without coming and talking to me. Every week I, I try to give an opportunity for you to come and talk to me and, or talk to one of the other pastors. But that opportunity might not be here a week from now. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't, we don't know when the rapture will come. If, if the Lord's talking to you, then today is the day to make it right. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you and we say just to come and talk to me. I'll share with you from God's word how you can know for sure that your faith is in Jesus Christ and you'll spend eternity with him. For those of you who do know Christ as your Savior, has God been asking you to take a step of faith that up to this point you have not been willing to do it? Whatever it might be. You used excuses and lack of knowledge or whatever it might be to keep you from doing what you know in your heart of hearts He's called you to do. And I'd like to ask you just to come forward. You don't have to talk to anybody. Just come and pray. Surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, I am going to do exactly what it is you've called me to do. Whatever that step of faith is for you, would you be willing to make that decision today? And give that to God. Because if you are, you'll see him do great things. And he will grow your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that right now, if you're working in people's hearts, they would not be able to deny it. And that they would respond in faith, biblical faith, to what you're doing in their hearts today. I pray this in Christ's name.